the initial special forces unit would be dropped either by helicopter or by aircraft to secure the crash retrieval zone. And then in the case of if there were occupants who had survived the crash. Yeah, that was my next question. Then uh, that unit would be tasked to hunt down that entity and to bring it into custody. Welcome back. We are here again with Frank Milburn. Frank, welcome back, my friend. Thank you, my brother. All right. So today we're talking crash retrievals. So to your knowledge, is this a, a real actual thing? And I don't mean crash retrievals for like a down Soviet MiG. I'm talking crash retrievals of exotic UAPs non-human, future human, or otherwise? I believe potentially all of the above. And I've actually personally been told by somebody that I worked with outside of the military, but somebody who I vetted, that they were actually involved in a UK crash retrieval program and that they actually commanded the operation. And what time period was this roughly? 1980s. Okay. All right. So with a crash retrieval program, how was it organized? In other words, was it something that was event specific, i.e. put together on an ad hoc basis? Like there's an event, they just kind of gather certain units, or was there a practiced and kind of planned protocol when these things happen? I wasn't there, so I don't know. But from the bloke that I talked to, He said that it was an established unit that would have primacy to affect these kind of operations. Okay. So what that implies to me is that they happen often enough that there was a unit that would, I wouldn't, I don't want to use the words routinely, but would often have to do these crash retrievals. In other words, in addition to training and all those other things. Okay. So when an event happened and this is in the UK or is this, Globally, could this, could, the this UK. Be, could this team be deployed outside of the UK? Yes. And to your knowledge, had it ever been deployed outside the UK? Frequently deployed outside the UK, but primarily in an anti-terrorism and in operations that require uh, the highest secrecy tier one units that operate outside of, of normal norms. Okay. So when you say tier one units, you're talking like SAS on the UK side, Delta on the US side, DevGru, also known as SEAL Team 6, those sorts of units that do missions that can be put into the black category where they're plausibly deniable and things like that. I'm talking about a unit that was beyond tier one, beyond SAS, that recruits from the whole spectra of British military intelligence and elite units, but is totally outside the normal purview of government supervision. And 
where, where is this unit based? Not physically, but under what ministry in the UK government would have operational control over it? In terms of operations, and this is all open source, in terms mm-hmm. of operations against you know IRA terrorists, any enemies against the British state, this unit would normally have been subordinated under OPCON of the British Foreign Office, mm-hmm. but also double-tasked and operating under a unit of military intelligence. Okay, so this is MI6 or MI5? Because well, MI5 would be inside the UK, MI6 would be outside of the UK. So usually Foreign Office, so that's MI6, obviously. So it's kind of OPCOM to MI6, is that correct? But by OPCOM for folks who are, you know, who've never been in the military, operational control of basically is what you're trying to say. That would be correct, yes. But also OPCON to a British military intelligence unit, which I don't know about, in case of crash retrievals. But normally this unit would be OPCON MI6. And what was the what were the constituents of the unit? Was it kind of like, in other words? If you take like Delta, for instance, they're organized into squadrons, squadrons into troops, troops into, I believe, teams. How were they organized? Small unit, probably less than 30 blokes, recruited from British SAS, SBS, and Special Reconnaissance Regiment, and also attached military intelligence units as required. Okay. And then for folks who don't know the... Most people know about SAS, but SBS is the Special Boat Service. It's equivalent to U.S. Navy SEALs. Is that an accurate statement? Yes. Okay. All right. Let's step away from this, and let's say a UAP crashes somewhere. Let's let's call it like the southwest of England. When this happens, what's kind of the protocol? In terms of, do they get satellite intelligence that something's coming or something crashed? And then how quickly does the team deploy and how does it deploy? The team would deploy very rapidly and it would have primacy beyond local police units and beyond any other forces of the British state. They would have impunity to operate, absolutely. Okay. In terms of... information dissemination let's call it there's roughly 30 folks not all of them would be involved in this retrieval there would be some small team or would the whole unit be involved the initial special forces unit would be dropped either by helicopter or by aircraft to secure the crash retrieval zone and then in the case of if there were occupants who had survived the crash yeah that was my next question yeah then uh, that unit would be tasked to hunt down that entity and to bring it into custody okay so the primary mission was to capture it alive to your knowledge have there been incidents where these entities kind of didn't submit they tried to fight I've never heard that, but I'd be very surprised if anybody would fight back against a, you know, a paratrooper or a, you know, a special forces operator because we basically fucking drill everybody. 
Okay, so they capture these entities or gather them up. That's kind of, that sounds like that's mission number one when you secure the site. And then mission number two is to, I'm assuming, set a cordon around met T dependent, so mission enemy terrain troops time sort of thing, right? Where based on what your intervisibility lines are, again, I'm just making this stuff up, so correct me, but the distance would be dependent on what outside observability was. You would secure that. Would you have secondary cordons around that site with units that don't even know what happened in, in the site? Yeah, well, of course there would be. You'd have elements that support special forces, yeah? Just as in JSOC, you have like ranger units that support cordon and control, right, for the Americans. In the UK, you've got a special forces support group. So there would be cordon and control. Okay, so there might be like a para, I'm just making this up, but the paras might come in and secure all the roads leading to the site, but they would likely have no idea what they were protecting. They just have a mission, make sure nobody passes through this checkpoint. Pretty much. Okay. All right, so here's another wrinkle. Let's say they come up on a site and there's a human being already there who's witnessed some of the entities and things like that. What's the protocol for that? I don't know. I would surmise that he'd be uh, grabbed by military intelligence and he'd be told not to talk about it. Okay. And then what sorts of inducements? Is it threats, money, mixture of both that they would use? Whatever weaknesses he has, they would offer him an inducement. Okay. And then roughly how many of these things or how often do you think these things happened on a yearly basis? I don't know. All I can say is that based on my knowledge, it's happened more than once. Do you have any knowledge if, I mean, is this unit still or similar unit still in existence? It is, yes. Okay. And then how do they ensure that these individuals, when they retire and things like that, stay quiet about the nature of their roles in the past. Because like me, if you talk about stuff you're not supposed to talk about, you know that you'll get slotted. Okay. Have there ever been any cases that that may have happened where somebody tried to say something and they just kind of disappeared? Not that I've heard about in military intelligence. I've heard about members of special forces working for drug cartels who've been slotted or arrested. Yeah, I know the U.S. has that problem with uh, the drug cartels in the South. A lot of them were trained by, at one point, intentionally by the U.S. government, but in later years by former members of Delta. So Yeah, but again, look, it's all about if you've worked for military intelligence in the U.K. or U.K. special forces, you know, have you betrayed your country? Have you divulged military secrets? Or have you gone to work for like a cartel in South America? If you have, then obviously that's a problem. And right. then your embarrassment right. to your country, because, right. you know, they don't teach us and they don't train us everything that we know so that we can sell our wares to organized criminals. And right. the majority of us don't. Right. There's, but there's always but one guy, right? If you right. do, if you do, and I know of cases, if you do try to sell what you know, I know that you will be taken out.
now some of that stuff you you can for instance you can work as a mercenary or something like that if you get approval right correct like they don't just take out anybody it's just if they just start working for like spetsnaz or something like that then you're gonna have problems well no i mean you know like me i mean you know i was like you know low level i went to work for a, a former british army mercenary group in iraq and that was mm-hmm. no problem because i was right. doing psd for you know the state department and dod but if i'd opened my mouth about uap and you know what i know then yeah you know maybe i would have been fucking slotted yeah okay so they're doing this crash retrieval operation was there any joint coordination with nato United States, anything like that? Like you ever have CIA officials or DIA, anything like that that was involved? My knowledge was it was like a totally British. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. I've heard that before, not just with the British. This crash retrieval topic seems to be a nation state specific thing. There's no sharing on crash retrievals. It's just kind of... Well, well, no, I think, uh, you know, you've got British airspace in in, in, in UK and you've got uh, British airspace systems in the United States, right? And, you know, they try to, uh, you know, cleave a difference between them. But I don't think there's any difference between, you know, what the Americans know and the British know, because, yeah. you know, the British and the Americans are dug in one to another deeper than Alabama tips. Agreed. Okay, so let's say they capture an entity alive. Where are they taken and and what happens from the moment they're secured to after they get to whatever that location is? I don't know because I wasn't there and that was way above my access. Okay. I mean, I imagine they would be interrogated. The question is how. Again, there's so much information and noise out there. I'm certainly no expert, but. Can I just say one thing? Yeah. You know, um, you know, many people go, oh, the inevitability of, you know, domination by UAP intelligences, right? The fact that they have downed craft, they can be downed. And I have absolute faith in the British military and the American military that mm-hmm. we are able, you know, to defend our airspace against any hostile threat from whichever vector it may come, whether that is extraterrestrial or ultra or interdimensional. I have no doubt in my mind that our militaries are able, you know, to defend our people. So in talking to these former crash retrieval folks, do you have a sense that the occupants of these craft are monolithic, i.e. from one source, or are you getting the sense that there are, you know, many different sources? And if that's the case, how many? factions this and that i can't say because i wasn't read into that all i can say is from personal opinion is uh i don't believe it's like one phenomenon i believe it's multiple phenomena whether it's extraterrestrial ultra-dimensional interdimensional i keep my mind completely open but like i said look i wasn't read into that particular situation all i can say is those blokes in that situation they knew that it was something that wasn't from Earth. Or now. Or now. How are these folks recruited? I mean, you talked about some of the feeder units that would feed into this crash retrieval unit, but what sorts of things do they 
select for? And is there anything that surprised you? In terms of what? Selection of uh, British military personnel? For this specific unit, yes. Yeah, you'd have to have a background in elite infantry, like paratroopers or all Marines, and then probably have served in uh, you know military intelligence. Anything else, though, that was surprising to you? Because that's not surprising. Like that, all those things make sense. No, nothing at all. And I couldn't say more than that. Okay. And is the unit, do you think, has been relatively similar size the entire time or has it expanded in recent years? What I know is the unit has been expanded because it also has been involved in war on terror. It was expanded to encompass anti-terrorism. Mm-hmm. But look, I'll tell you what I can share with you is that when there is a problem, like a major problem, MI6 and the CIA, they get together with heads from JSOC and with directorate mm-hmm. of special forces in the UK. And what they do is they say, look, here's a problem. Who comes up with the better plan? Sometimes JSOC comes up with a better plan. Sometimes Directorate of Special Forces comes up with a better plan. But Americans and Brits very well embedded with each other. And it's almost mm-hmm. like a, a symbiotic relationship. Yeah, it makes sense. Absolutely makes sense. Do you have any knowledge of what the U.S. equivalent is for these crash retrieval programs? Yeah, I'd be looking at the Air Force Special Operations Unit with JSOC. Mm-hmm. Or with JSOC uh, in general. PJs. Exactly. Well, PJs and also special operations operatives. Okay, so maybe potentially members of Delta, potentially me- members of DevGrew. Yeah, but also, I mean, like, you know, American special operations is enormous. If you look mm-hmm. at, uh, you know, special operations command, there's like, you know, 100,000 plus people, operators and support personnel who operate in support of American Special Operations Command. Then you look at JSOC. Then you look at a director of special forces. There's some very, very elite units that could be focused on this topic. And how long do you think the U.S. has had similar programs? I would assess for at least the last eight decades. Oh, wow. So this predates special forces, American Special Forces, it predates Delta. It Navy SEALs. predate the SEALs. SAS. Yeah. So if I had to surmise, prior to World War II and during World War II, I would assign that mission to the OSS, right? Yeah, but the OSS only appeared service. like in, uh, in the late 40s. Yeah, yeah, during World War II. Before that, Now you're no talking idea. like, uh, you know, MI6 maybe special operations executive, but that that primarily wasn't their forte. I don't know. I mean, I consider myself an expert in military intelligence, both American, British, German, from World War II onwards. And I've seen nothing in World War II that would indicate that the Brits or the Americans in the early 40s knew about UAP. I'll just give an example. My great uncle, Maxime, he was CZM Bureau, Six Bureau, He was French intelligence. He was evacuated from France. And then he went to work for Special Operations Executive. He was dropped twice into occupied France during World War II. Two times he was put up against a wall by the Gestapo. Twice a military intelligence colonel from the Abwehr 
German military intelligence said, oh, you can't shoot Bonin because Bonin is a triple agent. So <laughs> in my family, I have a pedigree of intelligence operations. And I've never mm. heard from my great uncle or anybody else about British knowledge of UAP programs in World War II. Now, you did, interestingly, say you never heard of British or American programs in World War II. But you didn't say you didn't hear of German programs during World War II. So what did the Abwehr potentially have? Well, look, there's a lot of theory of opposition, like the Glocker. And if you read Nick Cook's book, The Search for Zero Point, it seems like neither the Germans nor the Italians nor anybody else had found out about a UAP in World War II. Even the Magenta incident, this alleged 1930s crash, Mussolini's UFO that Grush referred to, is that just disinformation or is there some reality to that? Look, I'm not, I'm not an expert on that, but if you look at 1943, mm. Italy was divided into two. Uh, the southern part of Italy became a, a co-belligerent power, surrendered to the Allies and then fought on the side of the Allies. There was a northern uh, rump state of Italians. So dependent upon where the UAP that was captured in 1933, dependent upon where that UAP was stored, would depend upon if the Germans or the Americans had been able to spirit that UP away. I don't know. I wasn't there. Yeah, the, the date that Grush puts out is that it was secured by the OSS in 1944, which would imply that it was in that rump state that you're talking about. Because I would think that the Italians would put it in the most secure possible place. I wouldn't assume anything, mate. I mean, you know, this is like, mm. you know, Italy in war. This is like, you know, World War II going on. I wouldn't assume anything. And yeah. you know, I can't say because I don't know. I wasn't there. Anything else about U.S. crash retrieval teams that you may have picked up? Yeah, I'd say that there is an intrinsic infighting going on now between certain members of the IC community, especially special forces operators. There will be a clearing of house against anybody who is a former special operations operator who has worked on illegal crash retrieval programs because now the American intelligence community will be clearing house because these people are beyond the pale. If you've conducted operations which have killed scientists or you know, threatened people, I would now imagine those people are going for their grab bags and maybe they've got like $30,000 and they'll be running for a non-treaty beach in a country that has a, a non-extradition treaty with the Americans. Because I, mean, I, I know... I'll... I know from my own experience that if you have worked for military intelligence or military special forces, and if you go and work and do illegal work for cartels or other people, then your own government will look down on you and almost to a fatal terminal level. Okay, so let's parse this a little bit more carefully. So when you say I've worked on illegal crash retrieval programs, are there illegal crash retrieval programs that they would have worked on too? Well, of in other course, words, if it, okay. If it's okay. outside the purview of the United States Congress, then it is an illegal operation. And anybody working with, you know, I'm talking like, you know, former contractors, right? Former right. military intelligence 
special forces contractors. If you've been working on these kind of programs, forcing people to shut up, potentially murdering people, then you will not be coming out in the wash. You will be in the wash because American military intelligence and also American special forces like JSOC, they don't want to be associated with people like you. Okay, so let's actually parse this again because there's two aspects to this. There's the crash retrieval part, but there's also this secret keeping part, right, where many of these individuals are involved in both. So let's focus on the crash retrieval parts. Is this implying that there are American defense contractors or aerospace companies or defense companies, whatever you want to call them, that are also monitoring this guy and also sending their own crash retrieval teams to get these materials outside the purview of the U.S. Congress. Was that an accurate statement or am I reading too much into this? I don't know about autonomous or separate crash retrieval teams from, you know, American aerospace agencies. But it wouldn't well, what, like a, what about a what about a nod, nod, wink, wink? We know you're doing this. You're authorized to do this sort of thing from some faction within the U.S. government that probably doesn't have the authority to do that. Yeah, no, no, I would assume that. But I would also assume that now those people, now they're going to have members of uh, American Special Operations Command and also JSOC, people that they've worked with previously, and also in the CIA, special activities, people that they've recruited from. Mm-hmm. And they'll be looking at them, and they'll be going, you guys fucked up, and you guys operated beyond the Constitution. So now it's time to pack your bags, get your grab bag, and go to somewhere where there's sun. Because if not, you're probably going to get eliminated because you're an embarrassment to us. Now, do you think there's going to be a Truth and Reconciliation Commission where if people come clean, they're okay? Or is it going to just be, as you seem to be indicating, like no mercy? I think it's going to be people who know most, it's going to be no mercy. You're either going to like, you know, spill your guts or you're going to end up in, in a shallow grave. Okay, now this part of it in terms of the cleaning house in the intelligence community, is that speculation or is that something that your contacts are telling you is really happening right now? It's something that uh, I have experience of. Okay. All right. I'm not going to push you because I know you got to be careful. Where do you think this kind of infighting is going to lead in the next two years? Is it pretty clear that one side's going to come on top or is it still uncertain right now? Are you talking about special operations and intelligence? Yeah. Yeah. In terms of the people who conducted illegal crash retrievals. Versus oh, no, no, no. Intelligence, they're going, to, they're going to clean house because there's a lot of them talk to me and who are totally like pro-disclosure. Not uh, pro, okay, we're going to show you like, you know, the craft and beings and from, from yeah, Alderheim. Yeah, yeah, you but, can't uh, do that. Right, right. But, and that's but, but the ones who are, you know, we are, you know, we swore an oath to the American Constitution. Yeah. And there's a lot who didn't. And it's going to be a very, very sad and scary road for those people. 
Well, they all swore an oath to the Constitution. They just didn't necessarily adhere to that oath. Yeah, but I'll tell you, in my experience, if you're former special forces, if you operate with the cartels, or you operate with somebody unsanctioned. Yeah. Yeah, because there's varying degrees of people, right? So you have some, based on context, you have some people who are conducting illegal crash retrieval programs on behalf of some entity within the government. That's illegal. But then you have people who operated as contractors on the, I, I talked about this, by I was parsing between the two. There's a crash retrieval, but there's also the secret keeping. Then there's people who are keeping secrets on behalf of the government, potentially entities that are not disclosing to Congress. They could be in trouble. But then on the far, far extreme, you have people who are former special forces, intelligence types, who are working now as contractors doing some really dirty business, like going after scientists in the white who are beyond the pale. And no matter what they say or do, they cannot be saved and they should not be saved. Yeah, pretty much. If you don't have sanction from JSOC or CIA special activities or from Special Operations Command, if you're a former contractor, I would say to you, get your grab bag. If you've been working for some kind of like dark program and you've killed scientists and you've engaged in nefarious activities, get your grab bag and your $30,000, your $100,000 and, you know, go to some beach where there's no extraction treaty with the United States because uh, you'll be hunted down. And even there, you'll probably be hunted down because America, like Britain, doesn't allow these kind of uh, failures. Yeah, agreed. All right. So another question I want to ask you is, are you familiar with the Marconi Corporation? Not greatly, no. Because I think they were acquired by BAE Systems, which is, I think, a British-American defense contractor. And back in the 90s, there were a series of murders. They're called the Marconi murders of various scientists and engineers. And I think back in the 90s, much of the conjecture was it was done by the Soviets. Well, it wouldn't be the 90s, but maybe it was the late 80s. But it was done by either the Soviets, the Russians, whoever, whenever that time period was. And it was targeted at, again, the official story seemed to be that those scientists were working on the Strategic Defense Initiative. However, the fact that Marconi was at one point an Italian company that was acquired by a British company, it's possible that they would have been in charge of Mussolini's UFO at some point. So do you think that those murders were all about the SDI, about something else, or had something to do with this alleged UFO? Uh, I don't know, mate. I've got no clue about that. Yeah, I think that's the craziest question I've asked you, so I completely understand. All right, so... We've discussed crash retrievals thus far. Do you have any knowledge of Chinese or Russian crash retrieval programs? I don't, not specifically, but okay. they would be stupid if they were not. As I said in my first paper, you know, it would be a prime target for uh, you know Chinese military intelligence. Have there ever been any cases where 
there was a crash that was in an unaligned country somewhere. I'm just making this up, but call it Africa, where multiple crash retrieval teams showed up at the same time from different countries, i.e. maybe a Western unit, US, UK, and then the Russians show up as well, or the Chinese show up as well. I don't know. All I could say is that if that situation were to occur, then you know I'm sure the Brit blokes would come out on top. Yeah, because the securing the site would not only be about securing the ET, it would be about securing the site. No, because we're Brits. Yeah, well, I mean, you'd have to shoot some Russians or whoever else was trying to... Uh, no, because uh, the Brits are the best. <laughs> I'm not... You're not going to get me to say it. You're not going to get me to say it. But I highly <laughs> respect the Brits. And your military is amazing. So... Uh, the American best. military is amazing as well. But you have to think that like, I've been through two generations of war. Mm-hmm. And even in the 1990s, when I was with British Special Forces, not as a badged operator... I was never a badged operator. I was an intelligence operator. I never passed British Special Forces selection. I passed British Army parachute selection, but I worked with the Brit Special Forces. I just wanted to clear that air there, yeah? No, no, no. Absolutely. You don't want to be like a quote-unquote stolen valor guy. No, no, no. I'm not stolen valor, but um, I know the Brits are are very, very good, if I say so myself. Yeah, you're you're completely unbiased. Unbiased completely. That flag doesn't really indicate any any indication of of, of bias. No, but they're excellent. They're, I mean, that's I think people the world over know that. So, I appreciate you again, my friend. Thank you for talking about this topic. And I don't think there's anything on the internet that has provided that level of insight on this particular topic. So I appreciate it, and I appreciate you. I appreciate you, my friend. All right. To the next time we talk. Talk to you soon. If you enjoyed this video, please click on like, subscribe, and the notification button so that you're alerted anytime I post something new.